0: You are now jumping into the trenches with the Toulons, Tuli and Ralph, where we pull back the curtain on what marriage and relationships are really about. So let's start the show.
1: Sped up, looked over, the car came around, it
2: was him. He ended up shooting at me. Hey, everybody, it's Ralph.
0: And this is Jonathan.
2: (laughs) And welcome back (laughs) to another episode of In the Trenches with the Toulons.
0: And if it's your first time. Welcome to the trenches. I'm Thule.
2: <laughs> and they're confused. <laughs>
0: if you didn't realize, I am one person.
2: <laughs> With many names. Okay, so the little clip you just heard, that is our guest for this episode, Mr. Visha Fredericks. And I know you're probably like, What, what the hell? What in hell
0: is going on?
2: Yes. But um before we get into that, let's hear a little bit about her.
0: Davisha Fredericks is a Christian woman, a wife, and a mother of four children. She was born in Los Angeles, California and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. Through various jobs, life experiences, and hardships, she has sought to find her calling in life. In December 2015, she asked God to show her the way to advocate for and empower other women. She did her research and began volunteering with the local woman's shelter. As domestic violence survivor herself, she was motivated and inspired to do even more. She founded a nonprofit organization to help women in domestic violence and relationships, Susu Incorporated. Davisha is passionate about helping women break through strongholds in their lives and move forward to become independent, whole, and free. Davisha speaks on her personal experiences with other women to overcome fear and find their purpose.
2: Before we jump into the trenches with Davisha, we want to introduce a new segment with Sharita Humphrey. You may remember Sharita from our bonus episode at Podcast Movement. She will be our money therapist, giving you all weekly financial tips. So without further ado, for the love of money.
3: Hey, Trench Mob, Sharita here with your weekly for the love of money tip. Because this month is National Domestic Violence Month, this week's tip is financial abuse. Yes, financial abuse. Love doesn't hurt, and that includes financially. What is financial abuse? it's a very toxic way for a person to control another person financially. This is one that I really wanted to talk about this week, Trench Mob, because there are thousands of people across the country who are suffering from financial abuse. And they don't even know that they're being financially abused, but there's signs that we're going to talk about. There's five signs that I want you really to pay attention to this week to see if you are in a situation where you're being financially abused. Number one, not allowing the person to work. Even when they want to and they desire to bring in income, this could be taking away from your financial dignity. Number two, controlling how the household money is being spent. Not allowing the spouse or the significant other to never see the bank accounts. Number three, hiding assets. Some people who are in financially abusive relationships, they have no idea If they may have insurance policies, other houses, cars, all of those things that may be adding wealth back into their family, they have no idea about it. And that's because the other person who is the financial aggressor is not allowing them to know anything because they want this person to be financially codependent on them. Number four, one of the ones that is very common that a lot of people just overlook is running up a large amount of debt. Yes, there are some people who feel financially trapped because their significant other or spouse has run up bills that they didn't even know about and then they don't find out until collection actions are happening or the home may be going into foreclosure for a more extreme situation or just that the person is hiding credit card debt and other outside obligations that they had no idea about and then Certain states, like community property states, like Texas, like the one that I'm in, both spouses are then liable for those debts that are incurred in the marriage. Number five, not paying the bills are helping with the children financially. This is one that we see a lot, especially when people are talking about the other side of abuse, which is domestic. A lot of times is the running up the bills and not paying the bills keeps the person who's being financially abused in a situation that they're not able to leave, even if they wanted to, because they don't have a job. (laughs) They don't have any access to the bank accounts. They, they don't even know what where the bank accounts are. And now the person is not paying the bills. So now they really feel like they're in a financial trap. They have to be able to stay with this person, even though it's a negative relationship. And so this is why I really wanted to have this conversation, because a lot of people are not familiar with financial abuse. But this is something that causes, uh, without us talking about it and bringing awareness to it, this is another form of financial trauma. I always like to say this, debt is like wealth. It's generational. And so if we continue to not bring awareness to things like financial abuse, then these victims will continue to suffer in silence. And a lot of times financial abuse turns into domestic abuse. And so these two things um, really need to continue to be talked about. Questions on this week's topic, especially this one, financial abuse. If you feel like you're a victim of financial abuse, there is help out there. Reach out to me at M H on IG. But if you need a media help, the National Domestic Violence at 1-800-799-7233 is somewhere that you can pick up of the phone 24 hours, seven days a week. Until next week, as my son Kyle likes to say, pray about it, do the work, then get the money. Now here's the show. So we're here with
2: Devisha Fredericks, and she is a speaker and coach, correct? Correct. Yes. So we're going to just jump right into it. Um, Devisha, I see that you have an organization. Is that right? Yes. So I have a
1: non-for-profit called SUSU Global. And that um, organization is for women of domestic violence. And what I do there is help them through support groups. And I also help fundraise money for domestic violence for whatever occasion may be, maybe for other organizations. And I connect the women to resources um, after or during their domestic abuse.
2: Okay. So even if they haven't left yet, you still try to give them resources that they yeah. could use?
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Okay. And just by chance, what do those resources like look like? Is it like...
1: Yeah, so maybe it just may be, it's wherever they are. So I always meet people right where they are. So they may be, I can tell when someone's going ready to leave because the first sign if someone's going to leave, they'll say, or they're not going to leave, they'll say things like, oh, I got to go back home and get my clothes. I got to go get my passport. I got to go get my identification. I got to get my clothes my kids' toys. Those things are replaceable. So that means they're not going to leave because once you go back into the home, it's very hard to leave. So um, I may give them things like they may need food. Um, for the home. They may need clothing. Mm -hmm. They may need um, just someone to talk to, counseling. Um, And so I connect them with the organizations that have counseling for domestic violence or just free counseling, period. Um, They may be looking at a trying to go through divorce. I give them those resources. Um, I try to give them whatever resources that I hear them talking about.
2: Okay. Okay. So even if they're like, if they leave and they may need a job, do y'all help like maybe direct them in some situations or?
1: Um Yes. Um, Nine times out of 10, if they leave, they usually go to a shelter. Um, and most of the shelters have all those things set up. But if they leave and go to a family member's house and they say, oh, I'm looking for jobs. There is organizations here where I'm located, which is Indianapolis, Indiana, that will help them with jobs. Um, And I always let the um, individual know, you should always let people know what is going on because, Most jobs now have some type of system set up if a person is in domestic violence to, you know, hey, alert them. There's a restraining order. This is what's going on. This is what the person looks like not to let this person in or whatnot. Um, So there are organizations to connect them to. I don't have the organization but I know the people to connect them to. And I'm the type of person, if I do not know who to connect you with, Mm -hmm. I will find out. I'll just tell them I do not have that information right now, but let me look into it and get back with you in a couple of days And it's usually 24 to 48 hours. I just don't like to leave people hanging because that is a very dangerous situation. And a person can get
2: straight away and go back into that relationship. Got you. Okay. So what made you start this nonprofit?
1: So what made me start this nonprofit is when I broke my silence about four years ago. Um, Probably about four years ago in November, before years, I broke my silence of domestic violence. And the reason I did that because... I went to bed on a prayer, just asking God, you know, like show me what I can do to empower women. How can I help women? Like I really want to help women. But the things that I was doing wasn't really what I was experienced in and really wasn't helping. And so I was like, I a lot of people were asking for advice and I was like, what can I do? And so the next morning I woke up, said the same prayer and I went to Facebook. And the first thing I seen was a domestic violence story. And I was like,
2: oh, okay,
1: I'm going to tell my story. And so I started I went to the shelter that I stayed at. And I volunteered and I started speaking on my story. I started telling people what actually happened, given the full ram of everything. And so as I did that, I saw a need for in the community. Oh my God, there's so many women going through this. They need help. But what I didn't have was a shelter because shelters are always limited. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, okay, let me see how I can be a support to people. And my support is being that resource, being there when they want to talk about their issues. And so the support group. So I just started SUSU because SUSU is Stand Up, Speak Up. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's what I was ultimately doing was standing up and speaking up to something that had me so broken.
2: Oh, wow. That is wonderful.
0: So question for you, were you married to your uh, previous significant other
1: or? No. So we got involved in our relationship at 15 and I was in it for 10 years. So I left at 25 and I had two kids when I was out of that relationship. I had my first son, I got pregnant at 17. And then my daughter, I got pregnant at 20. Mm -hmm. So I had two kids, a boy and a girl. um, And that relationship was just, it didn't start off bad. It started off good. Everything was good. It was all the gifts, all the glory, all the good. Um, He was nice, handsome, and charming. I became the popular girl in this uh, relationship. So that was like the whole good thing about it Mm because I was in high school. And so... I was at a basketball game and I was um, talking on the phone with one of my friends and he came around the corner, snatched the phone, threw me up against the wall and it just went left after that. It just got worse and worse after that. But yeah, so um, that's kind of what happened there. And, um, but like I said, there's always red flags, but there's always something bigger than the red flag. So for me, the gifts, the games, the popularity. So like those were the things that like, Pulled the red flags down, and I said, "Oh, here's the love. I'm in love. I, I want to be with him." So,
2: so being that now, I don't know if you would know this now not. Was anybody in his family like being? It was like, do you know where he would have gotten this? Oh
1: yeah. So I knew
2: that I I
1: knew him before I started dating him. I knew him as in grade school. Me and his sister was actually friends before me and him started dating in grade school, and so. I knew that his dad was abusive to his mom. Uh, So they had been grown up in a household of abusive people. There was history of family being abusive. So it was there. I knew that. And I try to tell people, you know, look at the background of a person before you actually date them. Not saying that everybody that's gone through abuse will be abusive as growing up, but I believe that that plays a major part in it. Yes.
2: Yes. Now, um, what type of abuse did you go through?
1: Oh, my gosh. So I went to physical, emotional, financial, mental, um, psychological. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, we're talking about 10 years. And um, that, this is the reason I end up writing a book, because when I'm speaking and telling my story, I can't tell everything in 30 to 45 minutes. Right. I was like, there's so much more in between that people need to know, like, why I stayed, why I went back so many times, why I had one kid and then why I had another kid. Like those important key factors, I think, plays a key point when you're reading a book about someone in domestic violence, You because I think a lot of people think domestic violence is one thing and it's another. A lot of people think it's physical and it's not. I went through physical, but it wasn't physical on an everyday basis. I think I probably had physical about five times, but more so mental and emotional abuse.
2: Could you tell us a little bit about that? Like how would he and I also wanted to touch on the financial because that kind of took me took me back as well but just the um, mental, and you said also, uh, not physical, but the, what was it, mental, and what was that one?
1: Emotional, psychological, Emotional, so, we'll psychological. You. Same frame. so basically yeah. the name calling, the put downs, you're not enough, you're not a good mom, um, being very controlling of who I talk to, who I don't talk to, where I go, being with him all the time, being with his family all the time, all the different events, like it was a point that I was just isolated from my own family and didn't really even know it. Like, this was like, okay being with his family only for events, family events, you know, like holidays, I would go to my family's house first and then spend the rest of the day at his family's house.
2: Yeah, That's
1: not okay. Right. You know, it I mean? need to be equal at time. So that was a lot of the control, but that emotional abuse of being called names every single day, every single day, day in, day out, arguing. I mean, when we first moved in our first apartment, we argued after three months, the first three months was good. And then three months for the next two years, we argued every single day. Oh wow. wow. And then we got a one-year-old child at our ankle screaming and hollering. So think of the traumatizing that it done as a child, um, and then as an adult. So I'm like trying to figure out, okay, how do I get out of this or how do I get better? Because every day was something else. It just escalated. Every single day just escalated, escalated, escalated. And so when you have that going on, you got all kind of emotions going on. You got mental capacity going on. You got your psychological going on. And so just that two years of that and then me leaving him and then he stalking me, that's that became an issue. Um, I mean, the stalking was so out of control. Like, I mean, I was the point that I would come home and he was there and he did not. Uh-huh. There. So, I mean, it it got really bad. Um, so, yeah.
0: So how I'm, let me just start from here. Are your kids still in communication with him?
1: Yeah. So my oldest son is 23 and my daughter is 20. And so what happened after I left him and I never had, you know, not say I never had contact with him. He ended right. up going to prison things like that. But what happened was that my son was used to his dad being there every single day, yeah. even though he was abusive and not good to mom, that my son said, I want to see my son. I, I, I want to see my dad. I want to talk to him. And so I did not deny him of that because and my point was I need for him to see who his dad is on his own. He has to have a relationship with him. And I didn't deny him of that. So like they still had a relationship, but I think that their relationship has gotten better in the last like two to five years. Like oh, wow. I think growing up as a child, it wasn't a great relationship for my son and his dad. But I think in the last couple of years since my son's gone to college and he's grown into a adult man and he his son, he asked me, he has had a conversation with his dad since I broke my silence. Once I broke my silence, my son was probably about 19 or 20. And he said, I need to have a conversation with my dad. And that conversation happened. It wasn't an easy conversation, but his dad told him what he needed to hear. And that, I think, relieved some things, but also brought up a lot of things.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. So how did your daughter feel?
1: Uh, My daughter felt a lot differently, I think, because when I left him, she was two. And so he's always, she's always been a daddy's girl. So I think when I broke my silence, it brought up emotions for her Mm -hmm. and things. But she was like, I love my dad. I still want to talk to him. I still want to see him. It was never like once I broke my silence, it wasn't a disconnect with them. It was like they still went to see him and still was okay with it. And I was okay with it, too, because. I've gone. To, I was going through a healing process right. and a forgiveness process and moving forward process. That's just where I was in my life. So, like when I see my kids were okay, like I have two other kids that are not by him that are by my husband. They don't feel the same way because they're that's not their father. Right, right. and they're like, I don't think they dislike him, but I don't think they like him. Right, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: I know you mean,
2: yeah. <laughs> Very yeah.
0: different. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
2: So how did you get courage to finally leave like that last time?
1: I don't even think it was courage. So <laughs> prepare yourself. Okay. <laughs> I to prepare yourself for this. So like the last 24 hours, I mean, me and him was separated. I had moods. I had went back, had a baby, stayed with him for another year, same old stuff all over again. And I ended up leaving like kind of like not telling him I was leaving, pack my stuff left and move to another side of town every day. He found out where I was at. Started stalking me, doing all this crazy stuff, and it just escalated, escalated for six months. And then the last twenty-four hours was I was on the highway, and I seen a car coming up behind me. Sped up, looked over. The car came around. It was him. He ended up shooting at me.
0: So what?
1: And, yeah, he ended up shooting at me on the highway. Wow. And, what? in yeah. the?
0: Wow. Okay, continue. I'm sorry this is
1: no, you're fine. like, I mean, it's normal reaction for most people. Like you got to, that's why I said, just prepare yourself. It's a lot. And so then the, um I stayed at, I went back to my mom's because my kids were there and the police came. She was like, just stay here for the night. And so this morning, my mom was saying that, you know, I need to stay at her house for until all this, you know, figure that's out what all we're right. going to do and everything for a couple of weeks. And so we were going to go to my house and get some clothes or whatnot. And so um me and my mom went, and she was like, you know, we had this plan to call the police before we got there because they kind of knew what was going on. And, you know, just for safety precautions. And um, we pulled up to my house and then we had them burned down.
0: Whoa, whoa. Before, wait, 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 wait. Before we get into that, are you doing something with your phone on the table? Because I keep hearing a tapping. Oh,
1: yeah, I'm sorry. I got nervous. Okay, you're good. You're good.
0: You're good. You're
2: good. But this man that burned down your house.
0: Are you serious?
2: Yeah. Is that the reason why he ended up going to jail? Actually, no. He ended up going to jail
1: because he had a firearm without a license and he fired it. Oh, so okay. the arson, they did not have enough evidence oh. because everything was gone. They did, could not prove that it was him, that nobody could place him at that. Gotcha. Scene. Yeah, So he didn't get charged with that. And so then he had a trial, went back to jail. He ended up doing 18 months.
0: Wow. I'm blown away right now. Like, You hear stories of people, but you never really like hear a story until you hear somebody say, Hey, you know, guy I've been dating forever, who I thought was my dream guy, was shooting at me and then burned my house down because I didn't know because I no longer wanted to be with him anymore.
1: And and, and that was pretty much the whole concept. Like, I was not going to be with him anymore. Um, I had moved on, like, it's like I had moved out of the house like six months ago, and basically. But like I tell people, also during that six months, I was doing this nice game, which I did over the years of the 10 years of trying to play nice so he wouldn't be upset. I would do things that I would think he would be okay with. So we wouldn't have to argue. You know what I mean? And sometimes the kids got put in the middle of that nice game because, okay, whatever you need, want to act like we're doing, let's act like it. But then I don't really want to be with you at the end of the day. So when I stopped everything, that's when everything went crazy. When I kind of cut every single thing off and was like, nope, I'm not being with you. I'm not taking any money from you. I'm going to child support. I'm not having sex with you. I'm not going to family functions. None of that. Yeah, he was like, you're going to learn. Like
2: boom.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, do you believe that that comes from what he saw in his household as a kid? Probably.
1: Yeah. I, I believe so because I believe that he saw some things that um, just for an example, I know for a fact that his dad had kidnapped his mom. Yeah, so, like, it, it was, like, like I know that that happened, and I know that she had black eyes and things like that, so I know that it was very traumatizing for him, and then I know that it was another family member that, he, that lived in the household that was also abused by her boyfriend, oh. so it was a lot of abuse. It was a lot of, I'm not going to say poverty, like, they didn't go without food and things like that, but there was just a lot of things that a child shouldn't see. Right, right. What, but in these positions sometimes with people, you you go through things. Um, with domestic violence, people always saying, "Why didn't she leave?" And I ask people, "Well, why don't you ask the question? Why did he abuse?" Yeah, mm-hmm. ask that question. Like let's change the psychological around because we are always asking, "Why doesn't she just leave?" But why did he abuse? Because it's not easy leaving a situation just such as mine. I mean, my life was in danger twice. I could have died if I would have went back home. I would have been dead.
2: Oh yeah. Definitely.
1: Yeah. So like it's shooting at me. I could have got shot. I could have got a bullet, which I didn't. And like it it was very dangerous situation. You see what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I mean, you just got to really think about when you see someone in domestic violence and think about, OK, what can I do? And sometimes all you can do is support them and just listen to their story, because if they're not ready to leave, there's nothing you can do you can't and and most people get mad when people don't leave because they want them safe and that's a normal reaction that's a normal emotion but i tell people just just be supportive because that person needs support because they're already being beat down at home mentally emotionally physically everything
2: now do you know if well let me go back hey anytime did you have encouragement to stay like from his family members um being like you know his mom and the other person the house did they probably know you were being abused and be like girl that's just what we go through or you know did anybody like encourage you to actually stay
1: i don't think those were the words that were said i think there was a lot of times that things were said to me like you guys should work it out you guys have a son and then it was like you guys have two kids like what what are you guys doing mm-hmm. like if you're going to leave be done with it but also i know you love him or yeah He's not that bad. I mean, I think I've heard my friends say, like, when I had left the last time before all the stuff happened, like, you're leaving because I up and left and was they were like, you're crazy. Like he gives you everything, but nobody knew what oh, was going on. Okay, gotcha. Okay, because okay. I was like,
2: wait
1: a <laughs> minute. What's everybody seeing? People didn't see the arguments, people didn't see the fights. And most domestic violence, you don't. You see all the, oh, you guys have two kids. You guys are out and doing great things. We always had nice cars. Our hair was always done. We got new clothes. Like, that's what people see. And they see us together and they said, oh, they're a happy couple.
2: And then I'm guessing you weren't telling, like, your best exactly. friend or anybody. I wasn't telling anybody
1: anything. Got you.
0: And I'm assuming that's out of fear, right?
2: I think it was out of
1: fear and just not even knowing what even to say. Um the first incident that ever happened, I was at a basketball game and I went straight home. I didn't even know, oh, like, wow. how do I even tell my mom that this just happened at this basketball game? Like, I just got thrown up against the wall and dragged down the hallway. Like, how, do, there's no rhyme right way. Like, you don't really have the courage to say, because all the emotions that are going on inside of you, you're like, okay, what do I say? Do I say anything?
2: Um, I guess, like, when you were going through those moments, before you left the first time and even the last time, what did you used to tell yourself I guess, to like go on the next day?
1: Most of the time I just went to sleep. I mean, that was like, my kids were my everything. And yeah. so everything I did was surrounded by them. And so most of the things that I did, I did to make us happy. So if that meant going to kid functions and family functions with my kids. That's what I did. But like, I didn't know it was really bad until about after I had my daughter, how bad it was. Okay. I just didn't know it was that, like, like I didn't think it was that bad because- I had seen situations where women were getting black eyes and I just thought
2: that ain't me.
1: So it's not that bad. We're just having arguments, you know what I mean? And fights here and there. So it's not that bad. So I never really told myself until after I left the last time was like, you're done here. Like, this is it. But it was also after that so many different incidents, incidents, incidents. I mean, in that six month span, I mean, the police have probably been called 20 times. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I, and I'm not exaggerating. Like I don't think you if are. it was <laughs> me calling, or my son calling, or the neighbors calling, because it was always hollering and screaming, and they didn't know what was going on. They just knew they heard hollering and screaming.
2: So when you left the last time, being that you weren't telling anybody what was going on, did you tell your mom like you're leaving? No. Oh, so she just she just thought you were leaving because y'all I not getting knew. along.
1: I think my mom knew way before, but my myself was so isolated. I really didn't even have a conversation to say. You know, my family see me like i would go to my mom's on Sunday dinners and see her on holidays. And she watched my kids a lot of the times. But it became a point where she was just like, I mean, it was a time when I think he had busted out my windows or something. And I had lived at home. And my mom was like, look, what what is going on? What's going on? This craziness needs to stop. But at the same time, I was going back with him. Oh, sorry. I was going back with him and still being with him.
2: So one of the things that you do talk about is self-care. So when did you start to have self-care after transitioning like to being on your own and leaving that situation? Because I know right away you didn't probably have any kind of self-care. You just maybe going through, like I guess, the healing period?
1: Yeah, so after I left, I stayed in the shelter for about 30, 45 days. And one of the things you have to do in the shelter is go to counseling, group counseling. And so I was doing that. But I would say like for as self-care, really taking control of self-care is when I broke my silence and I was 15 years later.
2: Oh, wow. OK.
1: Yeah. So, so like I self-care over the last three to four years. But really, I mean, I was just living for other people all those years because I didn't really know. I was just like so silent and so broken that all I did was do things for other people mm-hmm. and not really for myself.
0: So after all of this, I mean, this is. This is trauma, not just drama. This is a, it's a lot going on for you and your kids. How do you start dating again?
1: Oh my gosh. Like, I think I just did. And I got in another bad relationship, and it was like red flags were seen. I got out of that relationship. I was done with that. And then once that happened, I was like, I'm done with relationships. relationship. Here. <laughs> right. I don't want to see another man. Like, I'm good. And, um, it was crazy because the way I met my husband, I met him through a mutual friend. At a, they were we were at their house and he just starts talking to me and we were talking and he asked me on a date and I was like, who? No, not <laughs> me. <laughs> I mean, he's not trying to date me like I, I'm good like no. And so for a long time, me and my husband were going out dating. Probably for like six to twelve weeks. And he was like, This is my girlfriend. I was like, No, no. I'm not. no. I don't know who told you that. I'm
3: not. We're still he not dating. No, We're going out no. as
1: friends. And I mean, like, I mean, he just was there. He was just there for me and had been supportive. And he was kind. And I I was like, um, in the book I'm writing down and overcoming, I talk about um, my husband and how he was sewing up and how he was nice and how he was kind and opening doors and doing all these things, taking me out to eat and stuff. And I was like, I've been waiting for the moment of something bad to happen because that's all I knew was unhealthiness. And so it wasn't any I was like, okay, when is it gonna strike? Because mm-hmm. I'm waiting, yeah, you know, and I kept waiting and waiting. And you know, we're just going out and going out, and nothing's happening. And I'm like, okay, this is too good to be true. Come on now, All
2: right? Come <laughs> on, come on, shoot, go ahead and drop. Let's right. go, <laughs> yeah. So, when did you tell him about? Um, I think anybody after
1: that relationship was over, anybody that I had seen, I automatically told them because I was like, I don't want people to know that I'm hiding something. I told him pretty much straight on, hey. I was in this relationship. This is what happened. And hey, just to let you know that there's a crazy person out there. <laughs> because I wanted, I felt, I think I wanted to be protected um, in a sense because the guy that I dated before him was like, kind of like a protector for me. But at the same time, he had too many red flags. Mm. He wasn't abusive, but at the same time he was doing drugs, he was cheating and all kind of other stuff. And it was like, uh-uh, no, no, right. I can't do this. But so I went ahead and told my husband straight off point, like, hey, this is what's happened to me. And I was in this relationship. So this is what it is. Right. Because I didn't want to leave people out there to be put in danger. That was my fear of putting someone else in danger.
0: Were you fearful when it came to dating again that somebody would judge you based off of your past and that they wouldn't be accepting of your past?
1: Um, I don't think I was fearful of it. I just... So if they, if they didn't like it, then that means they didn't like me. So I guess I was fearful of it. Like, I was like, I need to tell them because it may come out, you know right. what I mean? Like tell them on the radio. So I guess I was fearful of it. Um, probably fearful of being rejected because a lot of people don't want to deal with something like that.
0: Right.
2: Now, when you were talking about red flags, you also coach to um, identifying unhealthy relationships. So what are some of the things that you coach people to look for when they're dating for these red flags of unhealthiness?
1: Yeah, so when I tell them, um, basically you need to look for a person being automatically in control. In control of the environment that they're in, in control of the people they're around. If they invite you to a family function and they're in control of all of the situations Mm -hmm. that is going on at that family function, this person may be a controller because they're able to control. But the thing is with control is everybody that's doing control is not doing it in a bad way. You have to look and say, okay, is this person at the, at the family function, this person's controlling and they're arguing? Are they controlling and they're fighting? Like, is this person the person that's going to be, um, say, that will get into it with a family member right off top and there's no alcohol involved? Like, what's going on? Right. Why are you doing that? You know, or is this person, a red flag will say, like, controlling to telling you what you should be doing, trying to change your whole lifestyle and they just met you? Mm. Um, I think that is a huge red flag because people will come in and say, oh, well, I don't think you should hang with those girls. Those girls are not good. Um, you probably shouldn't hang out with guys. You shouldn't have guy friends. Um, you probably shouldn't wear those type of clothes. You shouldn't dress this way. And if you're just meeting someone and you're dating, those are a huge red flags. Yeah. Right. because the person's going to tell you all of these things and just say that you were dating someone for six months and they're telling you all this stuff. That that is a they're controlling everything that you do. And if you go with it, the, the control is is just reaming in and reaming in. So once something what happens is I believe with abusers is they have to be triggered to be this way. That's I don't right. believe they just get up and be like B B B F you I U F I don't think it happens like that. They it's something in their mind that triggers it. Right. And it is the toast is not toasty enough, yeah, or it's not done enough, you know what I mean? I didn't want this food, you know, or I just had a bad day, but I think those are some of the signs. Some of the signs are also like a person, um, gaslighting gaslighting is really huge because it's kind of blindsided by people when people can come in and talk about a situation or be in a situation and they are saying, this is the way it should be, but this is the way that I see it. And there's no other way around it. Mm -hmm. And what happens with that is that person is gaslighting the whole situation. Yeah. And so I think people that's very hard to identify for a lot of people because everybody has opinions about things. Right. Yeah. But it's like their opinion is the only opinion that matters. That's all. And yeah. this, is, this is what's going on. This is what is said. So I think those are some red flags that I coach people about and also about just about your finances. Um, financial, I think, is a huge deal because we see, you know, we, we are taught in the world that the man is the head of the household and the woman is the maid. Okay, that's fine. But when you have someone that can come in and can control your finances and say, hey, when you get paid, we need to go here. We need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do that. They have controlled your finances already. So I think that how is financial abuse starts. Um, Someone saying, give me your money, give me your check, because that's what it boils down to. In a couple of weeks, that's where you'll be at. OK, let's take this whole check and spend it on this, but I'm going to pay you back. But really, they don't have any. Intentions <laughs> right. <to pay>. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So. um artists just telling you, you know, let's spend your money on this and then I'm gonna spend my money on what I want to spend my money on. Yeah. Or you pay all the bills and I'm going to spend my money on what I want to spend my money right. on. Right. That is financial abuse.
3: Yeah.
0: So I guess I have a question. Now that you, have you know, you've obviously worked through all the trauma from your previous relationship, worked through a bad marriage, you're married now. Um, you have two more kids now. Did you ever believe that you could get back to this point?
1: Oh, my gosh, no, no, because I was 15 and I thought when I was in that relationship, I just thought at one point, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing this is all that's out there. Like I didn't see a future. I didn't have goals. I tell people I didn't start goals till like almost four years ago um, because my life was consumed with kids. Even though I got married again, I had um, kids. And so my life was consumed with kids. My relationship with my husband was like, we were trying to figure out how to be married, how to be, because I met my husband and I, 2003. I think we were married 2006. Yeah. So we got married pretty quick. Um, we moved to another state cause you got another job. I think I'm, yeah, I had moved with him a year after I met him and clearly that's not enough time, but I trusted him. Gotcha. I hit, there was a trust in a bond that I had that, like, this man is like, he's really shown me he's not going to do me wrong. And when I was still going through some of the traumatic stuff, it was like, I'm going to help you take care of these kids and we're going to be a family. Like, and he was, that's what he wanted ideally. So that's what we did. So we went and had a family. And so like a lot of the stuff I dealt with a lot of anger, confusion, self-confidence, self-esteem Oh yeah. for all those years. Yeah. And, and it was all because I had this trauma that was deep down embedded in me and I never worked through it. So, um, yeah, I never saw myself at this point. I look at myself a lot of the times and be like, I can't believe that I'm an author. I can't believe that people are like, this is a great story. This is a great book. Like, you helped me. Your honesty was helpful. Like, some of the things that people say, they're like, this is, I mean, some people just come up to me and be like, oh, my God, you have a book. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Like, right. <laughs> like you read the book, they're like, but it's just amazing that you are a Black woman as an author. And I'm like, thank you. Um, So I never thought that I would be at this point in my life doing some of the things that I would do um, because I never thought myself of having a career because I did not go to college. Right after high school, I graduated and I got a job and I just started working.
0: So you have kids, obviously. So are you teaching them to pay attention to signs of domestic violence? Not just your daughter, but your son as well because there are crazy women out there as well.
1: Absolutely. And I, you know, I think... I, I probably, and I'm glad you brought that up because my two youngest kids are 14 and 15 and then my other kids are 20 and 23. So I think that it is, I think for me, I think that me, they hearing this story so many times because yeah. I tell it so many times and me telling it, that is like their awareness. Um, but I'm not actually, but I always say like, I tell my two youngest kids, I think they've both been in relationships since school started and I'm like, you're way too young to be in a relationship. And I think I've said things like to them, Oh, I don't think that that's too unhealthy. Break up with them. That's, that's <laughs> not, okay. Do it now. Break up. <laughs> right. A person is going to do this to you. You don't want to go through that. You yeah. know, so um, my daughter is in a relationship and I think she's been with him almost a year. And so I've been very self-conscious with her um, and just being like all in her business. And she does not like it. But at the same time, I got to let her walk her path because what I have, what my daughter has, she hasn't told me. But what she reminds me is that I'm not you. I'm not going to go through these situations because I think she's learned some lessons from it because what I did do with my daughter at 17, I started doing workshops about domestic violence and I would bring her with me because at this point in time, you need to be hearing what these women are going through and you need to be listening in and taking notes. And like she said, it helped her self-esteem. It's helped her self-confidence because as women, we do go through those things of, okay, like she says, I'm light-skinned and a lot of people say different things about light-skinned women. And so she's like, everybody is treated differently because of the shade of their skin. Yeah. And so those things have triggered maybe some of her self confidence or self esteem. But at the same time, I think her being around me in this environment helps my kids being around me in this environment. So I like, I've, all my kids have been to several of the events that I've been at. And so they heard it, you know what I mean? They know that I wrote a book. I mean, I think they are happy that I wrote a book about it. And having such a strong presence in this is important. So like, I think I need to just be telling them the signs you're right. Cause I don't think I ever sat down and said, hey, these are the signs you need to look for. Because it's different signs for every situation.
2: Right. Now with talking to them, have they ever asked you like a really hard question where you just like, ooh, I wasn't prepared for you to ask me that?
1: Um. Not really. Um. I try to always have an open community. My, I always talk to my kids. And they probably get tired of me talking and tired of me lecturing. <laughs> but I feel like when you have a communication with someone, um, because that's a very important thing. Anywhere you go, any relationship, that's one thing that brought me out of this relationship because I didn't have a communication with him when I was in that relationship. It was arguments. Those are not communications. So when I got with my husband, I was very wanting to have communication. So with my kids, it's the same way, communication, communication.
2: So have they gone to counseling? um so my son my oldest
1: son started counseling probably at the age of 16 um and he was just going through some things as far as a normal 16 year old acting out and things like that and he just came to me and was like i need some help and oh, i was like okay him. let's go to counseling yeah that's the help we. Got.
0: that's very mature yeah. that's super mature. Yeah.
1: He's mature he's pretty mature kid Deep. and so my daughter. She's never went to. Well, she goes to counseling at school now. I take that back. So, and I don't know if it's about this or whatever. Um, but she did tell me when I saw her last week. Um, she's in sophomore in school. So she like, "I'm taking counseling classes." She's in school for um psychiatry.
2: Oh, okay. Um, yeah.
0: So now that you you know you kind of have your or not kind of you do have a practice around coaching when it comes to individuals that have experienced this type of trauma you know what what are the scenarios or the steps that you kind of walk through them with to help them get to that other side
1: so basically i just meet people where they are and kind of go from there um sometimes people don't need um the whole coaching program Um, and i coach people through 12 weeks and every week and so basically It depends on where you're at, but mostly I always start people with, okay, what's going on? Where do you want to see yourself in a relationship? Where do you want to? Where are you at? If you're in a relationship, what's going on in your relationship and where do you want that relationship to go? Do you want to sustain it or do you want to be done with it?
2: So do you think someone can have been in an abusive relationship and then stay and it become a healthy
1: relationship? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It definitely needs to be a lot of counseling, a lot of therapy, you know, a lot of therapy going through. And, you know, like I tell people, I have a coach, a counselor, a mentor, an accountability partner. Like there's so much that I do with different people because everybody has a different outlook on my story and be able to give me some insight on where I need to go and what I need to do. So I do a lot of different things um, with myself and I encourage other people to. I'm like, don't just talk to me, talk to a therapist. Don't just talk to a therapist, talk to a mentor. Like talk to someone that is positive in your life, that is not going to lead you down a road to say nothing's going on. Someone that's going to be uplifting in your life. Um, because I think that you need that.
2: I agree. I definitely agree.
0: We're huge, huge fans of counseling. <laughs>
2: yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm all about it. And most people be like, I don't want to go to counseling. Like try it. And then let me know, like at least try it like and it's, it's a hard it's very hard to get people to go to counseling
0: It really is. Of color oh <laughs> absolutely yes, people
2: of color they do not want to go or they feel that they don't need to go
0: they fear hearing the truth well not yeah. so well, the truth, the truth but, but it's
2: just like they don't want to nobody wants to work through their trauma nobody wants to work through just their issues no. but they'll call their friend or their mama or their daddy and then they'll tell them all their business but then not really get the like healing that they need your girlfriend right. can't help you you're right. You know, your guy Frank and he's he's there listening and you know, maybe giving some advice, but is he giving the advice that you really need? This is somebody who doesn't know you.
1: Exactly. And I always tell people, do not quit taking advice from people that you you know, you're asking your girlfriend about advice, but she don't have a man or you asking your, <laughs> your guy friend about advice and they do not, they ain't been in no relationship. All they're doing is going from woman to woman or man to man, whatever. Like, quit taking advice from that person because obviously well, it's not working for them. Right.
2: <laughs> and they might not even be on the same
1: path that you are. Right. Yeah. So, like, you got to talk to some people that have really been through some things. And people that I tell people, everybody that's a relationship coach, sometimes I see a lot of great relationship coaches and they're not in relationships. Yeah. I think that's okay.
2: Yeah. I, I agree. It's like I don't take advice from you know anyone who's not married.
1: <laughs> it's like, exactly. You know, like that's, that's how I am. Like if I know somebody's been like my one of my good friends, she's been married for like thirty six years. Wow. Like I'm gonna call her. Like hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh,
3: like, <laughs> right. Like, you've been married
1: a long time. Like what what did y'all do? And then and if it don't sound right, I'll be like uh, yeah. okay. That's-
2: or have you been through this? What did y'all do when you went through this stage? You know, like yeah yeah. Talk to someone who's who's a little further ahead of you on whatever journey that you're on and try to talk to them and see, if you know, have they gone through certain things and maybe get advice from them, but you know, don't just, you know, your girlfriend who's been single for 12 years and you just been single for six months and you're like, Hey girl, what should I do? No, no, no,
1: I don't agree with that either. Yeah. Yes, so no.
2: with that, then what would you tell any single man or woman to do before thinking about even being in a relationship or married? So what
1: I would say is to that person is do a lot of self-care, take care of yourself, look into yourself, look at yourself and say, what do you want when you go to a relationship? Um, Look at your expectations. And once you start dating, I always tell people this, have a conversation about what you want out of this relationship, because a lot of people do not have conversations about what they want out of a relationship. You need to be having a conversation of what your expectation is of this relationship. Are y'all going to go out and date for two or three years, five years, and this being a relationship? Do you want kids? Do you not want kids? You know, what are the deal breakers that you don't want to put up with? You know, everybody needs to have, both parties need to have something to say. But I think the person, like, if you're single and you're wanting to get in a relationship, make sure that yourself self is okay, that you're okay with self that you have some self-confidence build up, self-care, self-esteem. Because ultimately, when you're going into this relationship, a lot of things get triggered by self, mm-hmm. not by the other person.
2: Yeah. No doubt. We just blame the other person. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's
0: your fault. <laughs> yeah. Everybody good at pointing the finger. Yeah. That's for sure.
1: Absolutely. Married or not, you are good at pointing that finger. Right. Uh-uh. You get that. right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this was a great conversation. Yes. Um,
2: Thank
1: you. You have an
0: amazing story.
2: Yes. Thank you.
0: And uh, I'm so glad that you've decided to share it with the world because I'm pretty sure there are thousands of people that need to hear it.
1: Yes. And I just want to say this. This is you said. That it is one in four women that experience domestic violence daily. So if you go to work wow. and you look around tomorrow, you count one to four women and know that one of them women are probably in domestic violence.
0: Wow. What about men?
2: Yeah. Um, I think men is one in seven.
1: Okay that's how serious it is um it's it's very serious and
2: I know not to to go back but I know what for men is, it's probably even harder for them to talk because they're not gonna they're not gonna speak up about being abused at home by their wife or um girlfriend right,
3: right. so you right.
2: really right. probably hear anything from them they just you know
1: yeah a lot of men do not speak up they just go through the abuse go through the motions or um yeah yeah, it's kind of sad. So the men are to be the macho ones you know yeah, that's, that's because, the masculine in the men like and they probably wouldn't the have things, anybody like, believe them anyway like oh stop mean, yeah like whatever be like, okay you're six foot four but what no right I'll by beating her up yeah, like, yeah. so it's, it's a harder story because the most people don't want to believe women's story you know Yeah. Um, so yeah
2: yeah that's, that's even sadder
0: well I just want to say thank you for joining us this was a this has been a pleasure
1: thank you for having me it has been definitely a pleasure sharing with you guys and this has been great
2: and thank you all right well that was an episode
0: was it ever yeah man um i mean i don't i don't really know what to say um, i'm just being honest like you know people always complain about life and then you hear about somebody's story and you're like shit i need to be quiet
2: oh yeah well, I think everybody has a story. It's just that, I mean, you know, some people go through way more than others. And we're just glad that she got through it to tell her story for other women. Absolutely. So they wouldn't have to go through it. Yeah, that's, oof. Yeah.
0: So, you know, if if you are experiencing, you know, domestic violence of some sort, whether that be verbal, physical, well, um, mental
2: or financial
0: or financial yes god you know please reach out to the hotline i believe Sharita gave the number earlier but i'm going to give it again for the domestic violence hotline that number is one
2: eight hundred seven nine nine all right and then on a i guess higher note
0: yes please because it's getting depressing in here at the moment for me <laughs> specifically
2: well, Sharita decided she wanted to give our trench mob a little gift. So, Sharita says, hey, trench mob. Sharita, your money therapist is offering an exclusive deal to allow you to get a true financial strategy to help you win in 2020. Now, through December the 13th, you have the opportunity to get a 30-minute virtual consultation with Sharita for 50 dollars. Now guys, her normal rate is 400 plus.
0: Shit, can we sign up for that? Yes, we oh, can. Okay, cuz <laughs> I'll just take the consultation cuz that just sounds like a crazy deal.
2: Okay, so she is doing it for $50 for us. But that's not all. She's also taking one person from the Trench Mob that will be selected to receive a monthly complimentary coaching from January to March of 2020 if they book through the exclusive deal. So Trench Mob, head over to SheritaMHumphrey.com. That's S H A R I T A M humphrey dot com and book your thirty minute consultation today because it's time to get financially
0: fit. So look before we close. The way you emphasize some of those letters, M H U M. I know what you're P
2: gonna H- say. H- <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. What? Oh, I thought you were gonna say because that's how I do it, Matisse. <laughs> oh yeah, you do that too, but.
0: You emphasize the shit out of that letter. You know it's an M. Hello. Shut, shut. What does money start with? M. M.
2: <laughs> anyway, I love you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, and and people don't do that when somebody says I love you. Anyway, no, don't say thank you.
0: Oh damn! Yeah, say I love you too. Yeah. So. See, see, guys.
2: Another tip Some of the abuse. day.
0: Still going through abuse in my household.
2: <laughs> All right. So head over to her website. And I think you also need to use the code uh, Trench Mob in the contact. So just put in Trench Mob to get that 30-minute uh, consultation for $50. Okay? So Trench Mob in the contact information at SheritaMHumphrey.com for that $50. Not 450 $50. $50. 50, five, zero. Five zero dot zero zero. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, I'm just trying to. I hope people are taking this shit seriously because that is the deal of a that lifetime. Is the deal. We're talking on a major financial advisor. Like, yeah. Big time.
2: Yes. Um, and if you want to know some of her, uh, was it accolades? Go to her website. She's worked with Chase, and then she's also worked with, um. She's also worked with what was the other one Jesus
0: the state of Texas, yeah, either Shit. way,
2: um, she can help you get your money right, right. So for fifty dollars, I'm in there for three months, yeah, and then she'll pick somebody to work with for free
0: i'm a, I'm gonna put my bid in. I'm trying to get that three months, okay. okay,
2: all right then, um, so other than that, yeah, I guess until next time peace. See
0: you tomorrow. Hey, Trench Mob. Don't forget you're part of the family. And being part of the family means sharing the podcast. Because sharing is caring. So don't be stingy and tell a friend or two to go listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Radio Public. They can also follow us on Twitter at Trenches Podcast. On our Facebook page, In the Trenches with the Two Lines. And on Instagram, at The Trenches Podcast.